everyone, this is Dave Smithy from Top Out Adventures. I hope you're having a great day. In today's episode, we have a conversation with Corinne Brown following her Cocodona 250 race. This was originally a video recording, but we're glad to bring it to you now as an audio-only podcast. In this conversation, Corinne tells us about her experience at the Cocodona 250, the highs and the lows, and what she learned from the experience. Throughout this conversation, you're going to see Corinne's magnanimous spirit and positivity just comes shining through. We think that you'll really enjoy this conversation as much as we did. And also in the conversation, we have joining us Jessica Vandenbush. Some of you may know Jessica from the Eat Clean, Run Dirty podcast and Print Only magazine. Jessica is a good friend of mine and a good friend of Top Out Avengers and we're really lucky to have her joining us in this conversation. And just one word of warning. As we go into the conversation, it opens up. We're talking about Jessica's working on helping her puppy whelp some babies. So just as warning, that's why we're talking about pregnancy and puppies at the beginning of the conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy. than usual um we're waiting for her water to break any minute now she's due today and dogs are usually i don't know if you've ever helped whelp a litter of puppies but Mm -hmm. dogs are pretty right on it um you know with the schedule of it so any moment now so if something happens where i have to leave suddenly it's because jazz's water broke (laughs) and i have to go help uh whelp some puppies awesome Awesome. Um, okay, well then uh, let's uh, dive right in. Corinne. Hey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave Crowley. I'm so excited. Dave Crowley has hide. a wonderful thing planned. I'll settle down now. No, no, I was just pausing for my lack of editing skills when this thing comes around. So, <laughs> well, take a deep breath. I like that you edit things. I just post them as they are. See, oh, that's, no. that's what I'm missing. My ego is way too big to not edit them. Um, So we'll jump right in. So Corinne, um, congratulations. Congratulations on what was an incredible performance. Regardless of the whole not finish, I was inspired. I, I tracked you. I was... I was in awe. I still am in awe of you for uh, your Cocodona 250 performance. So congratulations for an awesome, awesome race. And I mean that in all sincerity. Um, So uh, we want to hear all about it. Um, And so um, first, you know, maybe you just, I'll say, tell us, tell us the story, um, you know, in your own words of how, you know, how it went. Um, uh, Maybe we'll start with, uh, you know, kind of the, the first, uh, you know, the night before and leading up to the race and that morning, how, how were you feeling? How were you, were you prepared? Did you have any, uh, surprises in your kits or anything? I mean, I had challenges, so, (laughs) but we, I just stayed in a hotel down the road from the race on Sunday night. And then like, everything was great. Like it started really well. The week um, before the race, Corinne, did, were you able to get any decent sleep? Like what was your rest coming into it? 
I was really well rested. Like I had really just chilled out and things like I did one run the week before I did a 10 K for time. Just, it was a, it was a work challenge. So I did a 10 K in exactly one hour, which I was really proud of because I don't run speed anymore. <laughs> so I was like, yes, I still got it. But like, I, um, I did one run that week and then I was just riding bikes and stuff. I was chilling out. So I was yeah. really well rested. Good food, good nutrition that week too. Yep. Taking good care of yourself. Yep. So you yeah, don't I get all nervous. Care. Like two weeks before I got a little sick, like COVID was going around my office, but I had had COVID in December and I wasn't vaccinated yet. And I started to feel kind of funky and I went and I got a COVID test. I got two tests and they were both negative. Right. And my best theory is that like I was having some reaction to the COVID, but I never got fully sick from it. I think I still had antibodies. So I was banking on antibodies. I didn't want to get vaccinated until after the race. So I'm going to vaccinate next week. Yeah. Um, it is incredibly rare that people, I mean, people do get it twice. Yeah. I had COVID as well in December and I have not been vaccinated yet myself. Um, and this podcast gives no medical advice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You do you, you do you. No medical advice. It could be that you're just nerved up too. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that when you're nervous that you're susceptible to the different things, right? Well, taper tantrums are a thing and I've had taper tantrums. I tend to get sick two weeks out from a race, just in general. It's like injuries I, and yeah, it's weird. It's like, as soon as I slow down my activity, my body's like, okay, give her all the things. And then I. <laughs> I have like a weird week of just being funky and then I'm fine. So yep. let's get that. So it sounds like you, you had a really good, um, easing into the race, you know, you're, you know, prepared, your yep. training went really well, you know, um, so it's, these are all good times. Yeah. Yep. 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 I will say, I will say there was one thing on Sunday and I can say this and I won't say who gave it to me, but someone gave me some legal pot on sunday the day before the race oh i shouldn't have done that do you have a, <laughs> do you have a bad reaction to it or is it um some people are kind of allergic it or, was just you know, a little edible but it made me like space out i slept really well afterwards yeah but like i did space out and that was kind of weird for me so yeah i don't recommend doing that the day before a race I don't recommend it doing it during a race. <laughs> I know runners that do. <laughs> right. So again, no medical advice. No medical advice. None. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> yep, you do you. Yep. So you had a relaxing the you know the day before the race is what you're saying. Yes. Um, you had plenty of food to eat, I'm sure, then. Oh. And you had good rest. What was <laughs> this? What was the start like? You know, did they do like staggered starts or was it kind of somber? Were there was there a crowd there to send you off? Like what what does the starting line look like at, at Cocodona? Um, it was really chill. I mean, the drones, the cool thing about this race was the the recording throughout, like drones, you know, like that made it very interesting. So that because you know there's people not there, but there's there were drones on the course throughout, especially at the beginning. <laughs> Did that weird you out? Because I feel like if I'm running through the desert without water and I hear this buzzing noise over my head. It's um, a little weird. Especially at night, there was um, some weird things going on in the sky. <laughs> SpaceX, it's SpaceX. Yeah. 
<laughs> so there's drones following you through the desert. Um, it's very sci-fi. Like that's the new thing now. And I'll tell you, like the thing about this race that Arabiba got right, and what I'm really, really, really excited about is the the coverage that they were doing. Yeah. Like that's never been done before. And I can say my in-laws in Ohio who don't know anything about ultra running were like glued to the computer the whole week. And I just thought that was super cute. Like they were, they were like, over Stegan, he's our guy. And just like following what was going on. And um, that just makes it really special because most of the time it's such an ambiguous sport, you know? So I really, I'm really excited about the coverage they did. I, I, that was my biggest, I mean, besides the community that you saw surrounding each runner, that was my biggest takeaway too, was, um, you know, what an awesome thing. It's always a tough thing with ultra running, especially the really long distances. Because if somebody wants to come see you or cheer you on, they hang out at an aid station, usually a couple hours, and they see you for, if they're lucky, five minutes. Mm -hmm. And you're busy and you're changing your shoes and you say thank you a hundred times. Maybe they give you some watermelon, but that's it. That's all they see. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's cool that your folks like have that to follow around. And yeah, now they kind of, you know, they could be like, oh, Dax is so cool. You know, like... (laughs) It's going to create some celebrity around it too. I'm sure. It really is. I, I kept thinking like that spot tracker that we wear um, one day, that's going to have a camera on it and mm-hmm. you're going to have people that are just going to like check in. Let's check yeah. in with runner one five five and like they can see what I'm seeing at that moment. And I just think that'd be super cool. I think mine, mine would be lots of shots of the ground. <laughs> you know, oh, he's vomiting again. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Oh, he's laying down again. Uh, get up come on so as long as it doesn't become two-way and people can yell at me um through, through the spot tracker so do you imagine that if you're having like a trail moment yeah. and they check in with you at that time and you oh the things you could see yep yep so but they did a great job and they um we uh, we had the opportunity to speak with steve yesterday and uh he sends you a virtual hug um by the way and, yeah. Um, you said there were a lot on day one. Day one was a big day. <laughs> Is that an understatement? Was um, a what? A big day. Oh my uh, gosh. It was an interesting day. I'll say like the so first 11 cool. miles started out like a normal ultra. You know, we're just like trotting along because the first 11 miles is a normal single track. On, most of it was on Black Canyon Trail. So it's like super chill. And we were just having fun. I had this dude behind me from San Diego, San Francisco, and he was just talking like a big game. And I don't know, it was just fun. Um, You got to the first aid station and everybody's filling up their water and grabbing our sandwiches. And I just headed out after that. And boy, from 11 to 37, did that change, that tone just completely changed. (laughs) It was, it was almost like, I'm not going to, I like, I don't want to make it sound bad, bad, but it was kind of like going through a war zone <laughs> towards the end there and you're losing people. Um, they were <laughs> succumbing to the uh, environment. Um, yeah. And I was very concerned about a few people on course. Um, and I'll just, just to recap exactly what the situation was, we were supposed to carry at least three liters of water. Which is a that. lot. It's heavy. That's a lot of water. And, and so from mile 11 to mile, it's like 22 and a half miles or 20. And I can't remember 20, 22. 
without an aid station. And we knew there was no aid station. They said, carry at least three liters of water. They did an equipment check to make sure we had it. I personally carried three and a half liters of water with electrolytes. Um, and I, everybody I know of did carry three liters of water, but I'll, and, and I, and I will also say I've run in Arizona for over a decade. Yeah. I have never burned through water the way I burned through that 20 miles. Like I've never killed 20, like in 20 miles, I'm always, I think I've always carried on average, like two liters for something like that, you know, like threes more than I normally would carry, but, um, what was the course like? How did the trail change with that too? I would say sadistic is the best description. <laughs> like, um, I thought, because I hadn't like explored that part of the Cocodona map, but it was going up Crown King. And I was like, oh, they're using the Crown King road. You had, then, hadn't you done a race like that at Crown King before? Yeah. The last time we talked, was there mm -hmm. a 50K out there that you did? I did. And I thought they were using that road. They didn't use that road. Whatever they used, I feel like was just bushwhacked just for us. <laughs> and I mean, it was, there were parts that were freshly bulldozed and there were like, and it was kind of overgrown a lot of places. If any living creature goes up there, like, I don't even know what sends people up there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I can't even describe like how Jamil found this stuff. What inspired him to use this course? Like, I was blown away because I, I seriously, the whole time I was like, oh, it's just Crown King Road. It's a sucky road if you're doing Crown King Road, but it's not like that. That looks like Disneyland compared to what we were actually on. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and I, I, I like, I didn't realize it was not the same thing. And right. so this road became, it was kind of an ATV, but I, again, can't picture an ATV being up there. And without how overgrown it was, there's no way anything's been up there in recent decades. And then like <laughs> you, you're getting up there and at some point it narrows into this single track. And then you're like walking through a weird jungle in the desert. Um, <laughs> a jungle. Like, in the it just feels like it's never going to end. And like, as I'm going, I think I got to like mile eight and I checked my water pack and I was like, shit, I'm running like super low. So I had to start rationing water with eight miles to go. And mind you, this incline was so steep. I was traveling about maybe, maybe two miles an hour. So with eight miles to go and running low on water, you're looking at like time. four more hours and it was 90 degrees in the desert. You're exposed. Uh, very exposed. So I started rationing. So I was drinking just a sip every half mile. That's how low I got. And I was walking by people and you could see like their, their concern switch was going off where they're like, everybody's like, you have water? No. I'm, I'm running really low and people ran out at eight miles. And like, there was a guy that I was leapfrogging with. And at some point he's just like, I, I checked in and I was like, you okay? And he's like, I'm just cramping like super bad. And he was down. And then another guy stopped me and he's like, I need you to tell the aid station I'm not gonna make it. I've been puking for like five hours. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, I don't know what to do for you because nobody even had extra water to give other people because we were right. all so low. So it became like a very concerning situation for runners. Um, and I was doing better. I'm used to the desert, but a lot of these people were from the east. Yeah, and, they're from out of town. Yeah. They, at least you've been out there before. Yeah. You've been an advantage. From our perspective, Corinne, um, we got notification that 
in the first 30 miles, people were calling search and rescue. Yes. <laughs> like what? And then to be like evacuated from the area. And we're like, what, 30 miles? <laughs> like what? Yeah. And then um, I remember like checking social media. I wasn't on social media a whole lot, but I saw Mike McKnight and they were like, yeah, he's still in the crown king section or whatever. And he stopped to take four naps. That's more naps than he had taken in the last 200 mile race altogether that he did. <laughs> like, and he wound he, up like, in the hospital too. So he, he, yeah, he ended up with rhabdo, but like for somebody who's ran a bunch of 200s before run out of water and then just whenever he can find shade, just sleep yep. like in, in the dirt <laughs> in the first 30 miles. Like, yeah, it's not even like a full day. day. So that's why I wanted to start this off with Corinne saying that I, I think you've done the hardest 100K in North America. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, so true. And, right? like, and under any other normal circumstances, like it would, it, it's pretty badass. So mm -hmm. like, cause most 100Ks have water. <laughs> yeah. Water's a, it's kind of nice. Like I'm telling you, you do another like hard race and like the fact that there's eight every 10 miles is like posh because this was <laughs> I mean and I we got to two miles from the top and I just remember like I was caught in mouth I was so like and I wasn't even that bad off like I was I, I was very uncomfortable but I was I was booking it for the people below me because I was like they're not gonna make it they haven't had water there's pukers there's crampers like and we have no cell signal so like as far as I knew, nobody called for help. So I get up there and they had actually moved the aid station two miles closer to us. Well, they brought water. Oh, and nice. I was just like, oh, pour it in my mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and uh, at that point I was like, you know, are you, are you guys aware of all the runners down there that need help? And I think it was Noah from Aravipa was like, that was news to him. So they, they sent, um ATVs to and I think at that point from what I heard 30 people withdrew when they sent the ATVs and the next day I was with a guy that was part of that group that got kind of waterlogged down there and he managed to keep going um he was from North Carolina but he said that almost all the people below him like withdrew that at that point from heat exhaustion so yeah. the, and and when I got to Crown King, my husband said 30 people had withdrawn and I got to Crown King at like seven o'clock at night. So, um, yeah. So the, there were 168, uh, runners who started and was it 108, I think you finished. So it was in that first day, like half, uh, yeah. dropped out and it was just so brutal. Then it seemed like people were, had a chance to recover and, you know, you can do that in a race of this distance. And, and so what, you, you made it past that day, right? I did. Um, what, what did, uh, what did recovery, did you sleep right after that? Did you? That's where I went wrong. Yeah. How did you, how'd you fix that? It sounded like of the people that didn't quit the first day or, you know, stop for safety. <laughs> it was, um, everybody had a debt now, right? Yeah. Everybody was in debt. Everybody in the whole race of like what toll that that section that first day took on their body. And it seemed like the ones who really could, you know, push forward, it was about how they fixed that debt. Exactly. So yeah, what, what happened to you? I got to Crown King and I took an hour, you know, like I didn't have crew. Um, 
to look after me. And I can say at this point, like crew was integral to continuing on. Um, I know people made it the whole race without crew and like my hat is off to them. I, I would like to think that those people were more experienced than I was and me being inexperienced, I should have had crew following me the whole race. Like that would have helped tremendously because like even just getting to crown king where I was like taking my shoes off and cleaning my feet and filling up waters. Yeah. You got to do all of that. And like, and I was still kind of ramped up and I was only an hour off my time projection. So I was like feeling okay, you know? Optimistic. Yeah. So, but like I, I took that hour and I, what I really should have done. Well, I shouldn't, I didn't need to sleep then. But I'll say from from that aid station to Battle Flat, what was that like 15 miles, I think. So I went and it was mostly on like forest, like the road around Crown King. It was dark by the time I started back out <clears throat> um, and it was starting to get cold, but I wasn't that bad. Like I was fine, but I started moving really slow and I got lost a few times because it was hard to see the markings. And luckily other runners were going in the wrong direction and turning around. So that was kind of like, I don't know, kind of a, 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 a challenge to overcome. And then eventually I was with somebody and we were moving at the same pace. So I was like, oh, we're, we're going, we're going. And, and she yeah. got me going again. And then we got to the next aid station at like 2.30 in the morning. And so I hadn't slept yet. And I was starting to really need sleep. Um, and there was a campfire. And I just curled up like a puppy dog in front of the campfire with my emergency blanket on. And I slept for maybe 20 minutes. And I had told this woman, I was like, hey, I want to stick with you. She was moving at a good pace. Yeah. And so we were supposed to start out together. And then in the confusion of the night, I think she thought I left, but I hadn't. I thought I was waiting on her. So she left and I was like, oh, she left. Crap. And I went to try to catch up with her. And I went like two miles. I think at this point, it like in two miles, I went a mile, right? Or and it took me an hour to go two miles. Mm-hmm. So like, and my eyes were crossing. It was about four o'clock in the morning at this point. And I was like, I'm going to sleep under that tree. So I curled up under a tree with my emergency blanket wrapped around me like a burrito. And I only slept for about 30 minutes before I woke up all wet because the inside of the damn thing Mm-hmm. Anybody ever sleep in an emergency blanket? Yeah. They yeah. collect all the condensation and like for that little bit of warmth you get, then you wake up wet and cold. Mm-hmm. So I woke up and it was almost sun, like the sun was coming up and I was like, so at this point that was about what, maybe an hour of sleep. I like jumped up and I headed out like I was cold and wet and I went almost a half a mile and I was like, crap, my headlamp's back there. <laughs> no. I had to turn around and go get my headlamp. And that was kind of like, you know, that, that just adds to your frustration at mm-hmm. that point, but got my headlamp. Then I, you know, passing runners and they're thinking I'm all confused. Like, Hey, the course is that way. I was like, I got to get my head. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And then by the time I was like up and going, mind you, I had no real food on me. So that was where I like really screwed up. Cause I was at the aid station the night before I was so sleepy. I just didn't eat anything. And in my mind, I was like, the next aid station's only 13 miles. I'll get there for breakfast. I'll be fine. You know, I had some meat. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, four hours. I could totally do it. Yeah. I can't make four hours just hanging around home without eating. <laughs> I mean, it was two thirty in the morning, so I was like, I'd get there at like eight in the morning, sure thing, right? No, no, that no. did not happen. Like, you want to talk about the first day being hard and sadistic? That was like puppy dogs and clouds compared to the second day. And I don't know if it was harder because I was um, maybe dehydrated and also sleep deprived, or if it really was that much harder. But like I had been told, it's a bitch. And I had been told it's 3,000 feet in about three miles, just of gain. Uh, and, and in your head, you're like, yeah, that sounds like shit, but I just did shit. So like, it can't be that bad. And then the reality was, once I started out there, I was like, oh, this is worse. It was so bad. It was so bad. And I, I had like my, I had spring energy, you know, I had, I had stuff to eat, but it wasn't like a big pot of oatmeal, you know, no, like I didn't have gels. any. You, you needed like an avocado or something like yeah. I needed food so bad. Yeah. And I had my meat sticks. And again, I, I just didn't have anything of substance and I like, that's where I really screwed up. So I'm going on this course and those hills, I can't even describe them to you. I've taken pictures, I've showed them, but they, they just don't look the way they did to me at that time where you're just like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then the, the, the guy that I, I spent the day with, he caught up to me um, from North Carolina that was with the group of people that quit. He was like, I, he came up behind me and I said, I don't know, I'm going to do this, man. And he goes, one foot at a time. You're so Goggins, like one step at a time. So we hung together and we did, we did make it, but we didn't get to the next aid state. Well, I'll tell you first, we were on the course for so long. We were, we were where the cutoffs were happening. This is where the next like big confusion happened where we're like, we were supposed to be at Wamatichik by one o'clock. And it was like almost one, I think it was like, 12 12 30 and we're like we're not gonna make it Wamatichik was still like eight miles away we're not gonna make it by one we're not gonna make cutoff so we were like slowing down even more I think we stopped and took a nap <laughs> and we got to uh the lane mountain no was that lane mountain did you have any service did you know that they started like switching the cutoffs because we didn't of even think carnage. to turn off the phones like I didn't even think yeah. about none of that registered a cutoff's a cutoff yeah, we got to Camp Kippewa and which is like a minor aid station that was six more miles to um, Wamatichek, which is where we needed to be by one. And we thought we were out. It was like one o'clock. And they're like, no, they extended cutoffs. You guys have three hours. You're good to go. Blah, blah, blah. And like I had literally as we were approaching the aid station I'm like, dude, it's been such a pleasure suffering with you. <laughs> like, you know, we were seeing our our goodbye speeches and then the like you know, you're good to go and then we're like you want to do this <laughs> oh, but we did we we went the six miles we made it there by the new cutoff it was 4 30 was what they changed it to so they added three and a half hours but <clears throat> i was not i was not being told very good information about how the rest of the cutoffs were going to look mm -hmm. they had said they extended i think the they didn't know they didn't know what they were doing in camp camp at whiskey row. They said I had to get there and be out by eight 15 and whiskey row was a further nine miles, I think. And it was four 30. So like, and I had, I needed more sleep, like no doubt. I, mm -hmm. 
with his exhaust, I like I needed at least another hour to sleep and there just was no room for that. So I was like, I, I can't. So that's when I withdrew was at Wimatichik, which is where a lot of people wound up withdrawing next. Like that was a yeah. big challenge. So. Corinne, what did you learn? Uh, <laughs> like a sane person would be like, don't try this. <laughs> <laughs> But no, what I learned was that I'm going to go back next year and try it again. <laughs> yes. so, so it actually, you know, like I, what did I learn? I have a crew, Yeah. you know, my husband, you know, he was staying home with the kids for the week and we have little ones in elementary school. So he was just going to meet up with us when I got closer to Flagstaff and start helping them. And like he, he said immediately when I came home, he's like, I, we need to just have the kids pull up the school and they're just going to have to crew you for the week because like he feels responsible that he wasn't there. That's and well, and you can't know if you haven't done this before, but I know what me and Dave learned, um, at least in Jerome and watching the people come through the people who were experienced, the people who it was their first 250, um, there were people who came through and their kids were there. We had kids putting stuff together, uh, Legos together at the tables. We had mamas with kids on their backs, like fixing blisters. And like, it was a whole family affair um, that we had going on at the aid station. And then the people who didn't have the crew, um, they band together. You know, like it was runners together doing it, um, which it was still harder. They carried a ton of stuff because they didn't have crew. So the ones that ran it solo like that had like the biggest packs you could imagine. But um, it was definitely a kid friendly situation. Yeah. Um, so seeing it and but how could you know not having, you know, done it before? I, I thought I had it figured out. And I, even my shoe situation, like I wore these shoes that were like my trusty and I think they have like 300 miles on them or they did when I started the race. I was like, they're good. They're good for half the race. Right. And when I was on crown King climbing up that, I was, my feet were killing me. And I was like, I, I'm never going to take shoes out with, with more than hundred miles on them for a big, right. big race. Mm-hmm. And then my feet swelled up so bad. There's no way I would have had shoes that would have fit me for the latter part of the race. <laughs> Because like I've seen pictures of folks cutting the, the top part of their shoe just right I off. I totally get that. I, I can see why that would happen. So like for the next one, I'm going to have, you know, shoes ready with my crew that will be there. Because that's the other problem with changing shoes. Like you don't know when you're going to need to change shoes. Mm-hmm. I needed them much sooner than I had planned for because I had a change of shoes. But if you, if you don't plan it for the right drop bag and then you leave it behind or whatever it's a problem but if your crew has it and they're at all the aid stations they can be at then you've got more flexibility so definitely have bigger shoes for later stages of a race like that um what did you learn about food oh the food was such a problem but again if i had crew they would have had all the food all the time and they'd have been feeding me like the stews would have been fabulous Mm -hmm. uh with lots of rice like do not skimp on the rice when you're on a course like that, like feed, like, I'm like, they gave me beans, but they didn't have any rice to go with my beans. And I'm like, but beans are a pretty low fat food. And they're not, they're not a great, you you need, you need something to go with it. And like, and they're, or I'd eat potatoes. Like they gave me these little potatoes and 
I don't know. It just wasn't enough for me. You, you know, even the sandwiches weren't like as beefy as they could have been. Like I get like one slice of turkey on there and I'm like, I need, I need more, more food next time guys. And I think, and I, cause I've worked with Patty and other air Viper races and like, yeah, they're just, that's a learning curve for them for a 200 mile race. I don't think they realize how ravenous people are. Um, they, they have a, I mean, javelina. Do they not eat real food at a hundred mile race? Well, javelina is an interesting one though, because it, it's not such a scope, you know, like they do loops at javelina. So, um, there's only, and it's faster. Many, it's a fast it's super race. It's fast. Not, it's a really yeah. easy, all the aid stations are accessible also. And I think this was a challenge for Patty from the very beginning because the, projections of like when runners would be there were so far off yeah and then by the time runners were getting there instead of breakfast it's like dinner time or lunch you know what i mean and then it's like yeah. if your aid station only has like oatmeal mm-hmm. like at dinner people are like nah, you know i don't know so like it was it was harder to project what food so i think the next race will be hands down way easier because they have all these numbers, the feedback, the projections, everything's going to like just be way bit easier. And I'm, I'm curious if you like your aid station will even be there because it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We may or may not. Uh, when we spoke to Steve yesterday, he was uh, up on the top of Mingus and headed down to look at um, possible route. Uh, I don't know if he word he used was into Jerome or what, but there was definitely some uh, looking going on. So um, yeah, the, the aid station that won't be named. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> there, there, there are stories of people running around uh, in pirate costumes in Jerome that are now legend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were like, we couldn't really identify ourselves, but we're wearing, uh, you know, costumes. So yeah, that was, uh, it helps that the town is haunted and they probably just thought <laughs> yeah, they're exactly. I mean, you're just, you're part of the, well, anti-tourism. I don't know. That was, that was a weird drama. That was, so. it was. Yeah. But, um, but it, I, the, we met a lot of wonderfully nice, pe- nice people. Um, you know, and it was, you know, small, small minority who were, uh, you know, but there were tons of learning and boy, Steve, and I know the whole crew were just, ravenous to to learn that stuff and he really is is taking it to heart and the other thing that he mentioned besides having more food was a water station uh in the middle of day one um so uh that's something i think he feels like like, well and i will say this i want to give air vipe a mad props because they owned up to their part of the race where they were responsible for people's safety and maybe missed a few calls. And like, they gave all the DNFers a really great opportunity to come back and repeat without investing as much money as we did the first time. And like, I think that was key. You know, there were varying degrees of unhappy from from participants. Mm-hmm. And I've always like, anytime I communicate with people, I'm like, I've run with Aravipa before. They're a great company. I was like, and I, even before Steve made that, that email to us, he was, I was like, the, I, I have high hopes they'll do the right thing. And they did. And, and they're going to make it better. And that's how they learn. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we're given the opportunity to go back and do this the right way. So I just want to give them the credit they deserve. 
Yeah, it sounds like um, they're real. This is my, besides being out across the years, just cheering on friends and pacing people, um, this is my first exposure to Aravipa. And they seem to be truly a class act in our sport. Yeah, that's And you're, you're doing something stupid dangerous anyways, even with, uh, you know, a race that's been doing it for years, there's always stuff that can go wrong. So it, it just is what it is. I mean, days after we were through Crown King, they were evacuating it for a fire. So, I mean, yeah, we saw that out there. Yeah. So yeah, stuff like that happens. I, mm -hmm. and well, and part of my recovery from this event, I did sign up for a hundred miler over the summer. I wasn't planning on doing so okay. like, I decided I needed a rebound of sorts. Mm -hmm. So I am doing one in August in Silverton, Colorado. So, I, I want to also point out like, because this is significant to me, like I quit at 71 miles with almost 18,000 feet of vertical gain. So I just want to point this out because I think the whole race itself was, I think 43,000 feet of gain. Yeah. So you did the hardest 100K in North America. I need to, I need everybody to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you and everyone out there who just even started this um, are rock stars. We, yep. So you get, you've got the 100 miler. Um, any you, you, fast packing is a growing passion for you. If I read correctly last time, you're, you're getting more into that. So you got anything like that for the summer or the fall? So one of my training things that I've organized that I have in my mind, I'm going to do because the, the hundred miler in Silverton is all taking place over 10,000 feet elevation, which mm -hmm. has its own challenges. You know, I live at 7,000 feet. And when you get above 10,000, you're dealing with like less oxygen, things like that. Um, so I don't have anything planned like fast packing for that, but there is this loop here in Flagstaff that all runners need to come and experience. Do you know this one? Weather, uh, it's called, it's Weatherford and Humphreys and okay. Katina. Yep. Okay. Right. It's a 20 mile loop. It all takes place um, between nine and 30, you know, nine and 12 and a half thousand feet, basically. My plan is to like do that on repeat for like, 24 hours mm -hmm. and I'm going to just, just, uh, see how many loops I can get done for my training. It's not quite the fast packing, but, um, that's, that's like the most recent one I'm going to do. And, and there will be more fast packing probably in the fall. I like doing it down in the Valley during the winter time. Cause the weather is so amazing. Mm -hmm. So like, I want to explore the superior wilderness. Um, this, the, the superior mountains are on the range on the east side of Phoenix, and they're just an amazing gem. So I want to do fast packing in that. Very cool. So. Well, we, we I really appreciate you being such a great outlet for for everyone who's um, doing the race, thought about the race. You know, your perspective is um, really valuable. So I I really appreciate it um, from. And then as a um, volunteer, I mean, you just, you all inspiring. So, um, and I've already booked my calendar for May 2nd to 7th next year um, nice. to be out there. And I uh, can't wait to see you out there again. Um, just taking another crack at it. You're, you're a rock star in my book. Thanks. I, thank, I'm, thank you for sharing yourself with us, Corinne, and your experience. Um, 
I know that it's inspired me a great deal and, um, you know, sharing the different things that you've learned and stuff like that. Um, and just your, your drive and the training and your commitment to something this big is just wonderful. And it's been a pleasure to watch you. And uh, I know that our listeners are going to really gain a lot from it. Um, so thank you for being you know, so forthcoming with your experience and things like that. I appreciate that. it. And I just want to tell you, Jessica, on Sunday, I'm running with a donkey here <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> so that's amazing. Um, I have to get it. I have to do this. I have to get into this burrow racing. It sounds so amazing. And then I heard just in completely other news here in Boise, there's a donkey and a guy who go around the foothills delivering coffee on the weekends to people Wait, what? on the trail. Wow. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> I want some of that coffee for yes. sure. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I've just, I've got to get with it. Yeah. We got to <laughs> do a race. I, Corinne, I think you may be Jess's, you know, um, uh, idol or because she said she's going to sign up for Coconona 250 now. Oh. <laughs> And she's gonna this do is like breaking news. I don't know if I'm breaking. I don't know if I'm telling her or breaking the news, but she's she's definitely uh, eyeballing it. So wait, you're eyeballing it. Wait, wait, wait. Absolutely. I'm gonna like totally peer pressure you now that I have this information. <laughs> this is how it happens. It takes one person to be like, it's only 50 miles a day for a week, and I then you register. I'm good at sleeping in the dirt. This is what I do anyway. We can do it together. Yeah. So, you know, having a buddy from the beginning, that's a good plan. Let's buddy up. All right. I agree. And I'll be there in a pirate costume with a cowbell. (laughs) Wonderful. I'm excited now. All right. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Corinne. We really appreciate it and uh, look forward to seeing what you're going to do next. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. So, and we'll, we'll, we'll hook up and flag sometime. All right. Just, just give me a ringy ding. Are you going to Mexico?